the market's going. You look at, you know, chat GDP's coming out or is out and how that's going to change an agency, how, you know, content writers are going to look at the information. So it's being adaptable and not looking at it as a threat, but looking at it as an opportunity. Next person would go through and go, okay, now that it does that, is it doing it in this intuitive way? Do I need to send them somewhere after this? Do I need to put like a, a question button here or send them to an FAQ? Those are the types of questions UX uh, designers tend to, to uh, grapple with. Um, a product designer will be looking at the product itself. It could be an app, it could be a website, it could be a software, it could be anything technically. Um, but now they're going a bit deeper. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to understand the adaptation or the adoption of the product. Hey everyone, welcome to the Challenge Student Podcast. I'm Chris Lawson, your host. As usual, I'm joined by Jordan Wolf, who is also a co-host, but more than anything, when he was young, he felt that growing baby teeth was a waste. Jordan, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. I think if you were in the same room as me with these intros, I'd probably just lunge across the table and tackle you, but uh, you know. <laughs> We'll, we'll give you this opportunity to do so. There is a theme. There is a theme to the intros. And mm -hmm. some of the staff uh, who watch these, uh, they figured it out. I don't know if any of our viewers have. Um, but I think probably come like, I don't know, episode 15 or 20, somewhere in there, mm -hmm. people will start going, oh, okay, there's a theme here. I do know where it's coming from. I can't say what it is, though. Mm. Have you figured it out? No, I haven't been paying attention to you. Surprise. <laughs> well... <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, uh, just an update to anybody who's been um, watching the last few episodes. Um, my back is feeling better after fracturing three um, lumbar, so that's good. Um, Sean, my golden retriever, is giving me tons of love. Um, so puppy love, that helps. Um, um, and Jordan, you haven't broken any bones. No, actually never. So here's to tomorrow, my first broken bone, I guess. Bad mm. luck. All right. Well, let's let's keep going here. Well, we have a pretty interesting episode today. Um, we're gonna be tackling some topics that eh, kind of cross over digital marketing uh, and just marketing in general. We're gonna be talking a bit about product design. Um, we'll be talking a bit about UX design as well, and kind of how that all works. We're also going to be bringing in somebody that you know, Jordan, you and I know quite well, um, Mitch Compery, who's not only one of our, or he's our business partner at Atrium, but also um, somebody who's got a ton of wisdom given he's got 30 years worth of business experience, entrepreneurship, uh, product development. He's kind of a bit of an inventor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, uh, he's always got stories. So I'm sure we're in for a taste of a few. <laughs> he His stories are crazy. Um, and they're never like... Um, oh, I was in business with this individual and they came up with this idea. It was never anything like that or none of the stories are like that. It's usually something like, um, I don't know, I was randomly on a bus that I don't normally go on and this you know, person came up to me with a product invention idea you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like his stories are just crazy. So I'm interested to see where those go today. Um, yeah. But first we're going to talk a bit about um, UI, UX, product design, um, for our audience, like they, this might be kind of their intro to these topics because mm. 
not every digital marketer covers product design. Not every product design person looks at UI or UX design with the lens that a digital marketer does. So it'll be really interesting to kind of, you know, go back and forth, Jordan, and kind of see how we view this mm-hmm. this topic. Because I don't think you and I have really taken a deep dive into it before. No, I mean, even at our agency, of course, we have people that have the UX UI title, uh, like they're a mm-hmm. specialist in that area. But it has become something that having a general knowledge of that across a whole bunch of different parts of either entrepreneurship or business ownership or business modeling or, or marketing is definitely valuable these days. So why don't I throw it over to you like I always do at the beginning of our podcast? <laughs> you know, why is UI and UX so important? Well, UI and UX is two different terms. Um, they're often combined, but they are uh, separate concepts. The the uh, U is, of course, user in both of them. Um, one is UI for user interface, and the other is UX for user experience, although that's not how you spell experience, but <laughs> we'll ignore that. <laughs> um, the uh, UI UX field is sometimes something that a single person would wear knowledge of both of those elements, but even at a larger business, typically those are even split out. So you might have different Mm -hmm. people doing UI and other people doing UX related activities. Uh, It's also a sub skill set. So if you're a web designer or if you're a product designer, you will often have UI and UX skills that are part of your uh, work routine and delivering on your job as well. Yeah, like I know even separating the topic of UI and UX, first you know well first of all let's, let's do that because i think that's an important thing for people to understand is that they they are different but like you said usually conjoined um you know when you're talking about user interface you're usually somebody who's concerned about how things look or go together um you know with the brand that you're dealing with typically looking at things like design elements you know maybe fonts layouts uh colors patterns but other things like interactions prototyping, design systems, animation, responsive, um, accessibility. Um, Really, you're looking at it from the lens um, of how everything goes together from the perspective of a brand and trying to really Mm. protect that and keep that objective at the center of everything you do. Yeah, and there's a utility to it as well. Um, You know, brand can be something that uh, gets very designy for the sake of designy. I think as a UI person, you're, you're thinking about the brand, of course, and colors and making sure it's consistent. Uh, I mean, there is a difference. If you've been on an iPhone and an Android phone, the experience is different because the UI is different. It has shared elements between applications. It's got iconography that you can get used to. So the utility of it is quite high when you're thinking about those things. You want to make sure that when you go from place to place in an app, that things actually make sense and that you're like, oh, I must be clicking this button because that's similar to the button I clicked before. So it must do this for me. So UI uh, has all those considerations built into it, including the brand elements. I've always looked at the separation between the two as, you know, what they're focused on. So UI is there to focus on the brand and the protecting of that brand, where UX is more about protecting the audience, the consumer, the user at the end of the day. Um, So as a UX designer, I mean, you're trying to put yourself in the seat um, or view your, your your job through the lens of your consumer, of your end user. So um, typically things like personas, Jordan, is kind of where you start, mm-hmm. you know, really understanding the psychology behind the individual, who they are, what they're trying to accomplish, um, which leads you down things like user journeys, user flows, information architectures in there, um, 
you know, often you hear words like A-B testing start getting into that into that realm as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, user, again, the U is the, the thing that's not, not to be undersold here. It is the main focus, especially on the UX side. You're really trying to get into the mindset of who's going to be using this software is, is often the, the main place UX is used. But this can even be UX as part of like a, a car interface. Like UX is a pretty, you know, the where you can use UX is, is pretty diverse. The starting point, like Chris said, is starting off with the actual customer or person using it and trying to then think of like, are there friction points in their experience? Are there things that could be more intuitive? Are there things that are counterintuitive? Are there things that get people frustrated or stuck? Um, also anticipating what they need to do next after they're doing a task. Um, that's often a problem that like if you just leave a software development up to a programmer, they're often thinking about doing the task. They're not thinking about the next task or where this fits in context. They're just like, can I make this button do this thing that the widget needs to do? And they program that in and they go, yes, it can do that. Then a UX person would go through and go, okay, now that it does that, is it doing it in this intuitive way? Do I need to send them somewhere after this? Do I need to put like a, a question button here or send them to an FAQ? Those are the types of questions UX uh, designers tend to to uh, grapple with. Well, I think that kind of answers on its own why, you know, we call it UI, UX design, because <clears throat> it is, it can flow quite seamlessly between both of those worlds. And typically a company, an agency, you're not going to hire individuals now, at least nowadays that handle those things separately, because when you go to school, you typically learn those things. Or when you are, you know, going through any certifications or doing your own research, you know, these things are just, you know, they're puttied together. Like they're, they're, they just go hand in hand. Um, but like Jordan was saying, you know, you know, asking questions like, does the product or the design itself, like, is it easy to use? How can I re reduce friction? You know, like those, those are questions that those individuals being, you know, UI UX designers have to ask on the daily. Um, and a lot of the time too, and, and I don't think we, we talk about this enough, it isn't a one and done process. You know, a lot of the time what happens is, you know, especially when you're dealing with app development or anything like that, there's iterations, right? So once you're starting to collect data or you're starting to see, you know, are people actually, you know, utilizing the app, things like that, a UI or UX designer, you know, we haven't got into product design yet, which mm -hmm. has a place here, but that the product itself, you know, how can we apply those best practices into the product now that we have the data? Yeah, like if you're running a business, uh, UX and UI are going to be important questions to continue to ask as you refine your product, especially if you mm -hmm. have a software as a service business. But like I said, sometimes even products have some parallels here into using that. We'll, we'll talk about product design in a second here. Um, but having an idea of where those questions might pop up or understanding about the concepts of friction in, in a design or friction in a software, um, UX, UI are one of the methods in order to get through those. Uh, in our agency, for instance, we use UX and UI in a couple different places, um, like CRO for our clients that are doing, say, e-commerce, and they're trying to increase their sales over time through their website. Then CRO has UX, UI elements in it that are trying to refine and remove friction points, understanding user flows, all those elements, and making them better over time. Or if we're working with a client that doesn't have a website, for example, then, of course, in the web design process, we have wireframing and things that force us yeah. to ask questions about the user's flow. But even in what you explained there, Jordan, um, the individual who's doing the research, recommending the, what, to be, what has to be implemented is not a designer. 
in the sense that they're just coming up with an initial design concept, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, a graphic designer or even a developer for that matter. You know, this is somebody who actually goes through the necessary processes, understands the psychology and the, you know, everything that's within the persona and reverse engineers it from there. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it, and and it's and it's a bit of an abstract concept. Uh, it's hard for people to even grasp it sometimes uh, because while the the term UX designer is usually in there, that is a good point. Um, they're not really doing design in the way that the common person would think yeah. about design. It's not necessarily all about creativity. Uh, it, it's um, like wireframes, for example. Sometimes our clients will get a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's a different thing. They don't experience all the time. So when we present wireframes. It's much more like presenting a blueprint to a house. I can't tell you what that room's gonna look like, but I can tell you whether the couch is gonna fit in it. I can tell you whether it's got good flow from the kitchen to the entertainment space. That kind of information comes through um, and makes the user experience of that home, in that example, better. So we do the same for a website, just looking, okay, well, if, if this is your homepage, you know, what are what are the pieces of content that need to be here? What's what's first priority, second priority? Where are we trying to draw their eye? Do I need to take them to more information? Should that be a link or a button? Do I need a form here or maybe a calculator? Those types of things are all user experience related questions. Yeah, I don't know why, why it is, but it seems like every analogy that we have has to do with a house <laughs> or, or a car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just... I don't know. I'm trying to trying to relate to the blue collar people out there. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, how we collect or you mentioned, you know, some of the decisions that get made, you know, how that decision is made a lot of the time is based on the data that's collected, which is um, often done with things like heat mapping, mm-hmm. you know, things that people don't often think about. They think, oh, let's pop open Google Analytics or whatever. But a lot of the time, you know, heat mapping can tell you way more than you ever think, you know, um, I forget where I heard this a couple of years ago, but they were talking about how, um, you know, in calls to action that are read, you get a 15% higher click-through rate, right? Mm-hmm. So like there, you run, meth- you know, you, you run, um, um, you know, your methodology and those types of things. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the data you collect with heat mapping is going to help tell that story. Um, things like a baby sitting there on a website that's staring straight at you. Well, clearly your cursor and your eyes are going to go to the center of that the face of that child or that baby, but if the baby was sitting facing to the left or to the right, however your camera is seeing me on YouTube, um, your eyes will first go to the face of that baby, but then to the direction that that child or the baby is looking. So, you know, there's there's an art to it, but then you can collect the data through heat mapping mm-hmm. to really see if, you know. Yeah, I think I said it on a pre- previous episode that, um, you know, when in doubt, you always want to go back to the customer and, or mm-hmm. the user in this case and ground your knowledge in whatever the reality of their experience is so you can easily you know respond to the wrong thing or make an assumption about somebody that results in a design but it's not the right design because you didn't really ground it in something that was the the true customer or user Mm -hmm. experience so that's where the data plays a big role so enough about that let's talk about product design um good transition yeah (laughs) yeah boom no more no more well product product design is is a term and a lot of the time people think actual products on a shelf you know like that bag of chips that box of whatever at the grocery store is pro that was designed by somebody thus it's product design but jordan why don't i throw it over to you want you define kind of what product design is 
Well, yeah, I mean, branching off from what we were just talking about, it, it, product design is a very broad, broad sector. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you've got people that do produce the products of chips on the shelf or, you know, a toy or a calculator or anything that we buy physical in this world or a car. Um, but then you've also got on the other side, you've got all these kind of digital products. So you've got physical products, digital products, so software, software as a service platforms, um, even the way that we interact with certain parts of physical products, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, the interface on the center console in a car is, is something that has some product design related to it. So digital and physical are kind of two areas that are, that are starting to blend together, which will be interesting to, to talk about a little bit. Um, but you know, pr practices like UI and UX are part of that. So if you're yeah. going to be doing product design, chances are you'll also be having somebody on the team or maybe part of your process will include a UX, UI type, type element to it, especially on the digital product side. But even in the physical uh, side of things, um, there's an agency in California called IDEO. They do a lot of like process, um, like even how people relate to products in the physical world. Like that type of information is, is all about product design and experience design, those types of uh, oh, design thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've always viewed, um, product design as everything that UI and UX design is plus more. So for example, you know, um, prototyping and, you know, animation, accessibility, but also the personas, user flows, um, information architecture, all that kind of stuff is a part of it. And, and keeping in mind that, you know, um, defining what a product is, it isn't necessarily just like Jordan said, calculators or things on shelf. Mm. Um, a product designer will be looking at the product itself. It could be an app. It could be a website. It could be a software. It could be anything technically. Um, but now they're going a bit deeper. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to understand the adaptation or the adoption of the product. Sorry. They're, they're, they're trying to think more about how it impacts the business conversion focused, you know, um, you know, processes, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's everything that I think a UI and UX designer focuses on, but then it goes the next level deeper where it actually is talking about real life or business impact. Yeah. I think the business side of things is, is really interesting to think about there. You might be, especially when you're thinking about a physical product, you think like, oh, well, I designed this toy, you know, kids will want to play with it. Therefore, my job is done. Uh, not really. You need to make sure that you can produce it. It needs to be something that's, you know, uh, efficient and effective to ship. You've got product profitability. You've got all yeah. those types of business model elements that are important and marketing related product uh, questions. So that's where it kind of comes into our world yeah. is, you know, product design is something that, you know, as an agency, part of product design is designing the services that we offer. Um, for our clients, yeah. it's doing the work to consider how their products or services are being presented to the outside world, whether that's actually changing the product itself. Sometimes it is, um, through, through some kind of guidance and, and, uh, consulting, or it might just be part of, you know, the messaging that changes the perspective of that product with different audiences. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like we talked about with, with UX design, product design individuals do have certain questions that they are going to ask. And, you know, it, it could be as simple as, um, does the product align with business goals? Does it fit within the economy? Is it the right timing for the product? Um, when we produce this product, can it, you know, be flexible enough or be consistent or scalable? Um, you know, design cost, you know, is it, is it a, you know, something that our, our, 
our market can afford and, you know, still be profitable, you know, looking at the business. So, you know, there's a lot of these questions that I think product designers look at that a UX designer probably would never even think about. Yeah. I, I think even just the flow of things and how you relate or interact with a product can be an interesting mm -hmm. angle to think about. Um, kind of the, the process design or even workflow design if you're more in a service-based business, those types of elements are part of the product uh, that you're offering or the product that you're selling to an audience. So it, it is a pretty comprehensive topic when you start to kind of peel back that onion. Um, Mitch Comprey, who's going to be joining us later, uh, definitely has a big passion in this side of it. And I think that's yeah. one of the reasons he even got into entrepreneurship and, and you know running businesses over time. Um, but I, I understand that it's quite interesting when you start to think about what users want, think about markets, think about, you know, changing all these variables to make something that new in the world that people desire, that people are willing to pay money for or, or spend time with. Um, those are pretty big changes in, in, in the world. And, and if you can do that in business, there's a lot of, uh, kind of reward, not only financial, but just kind of, uh, experientially for you to, to kind of solve that problem and get that out there in the world. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the time at, at the agency level, you know, we talk about our service as a product um, and, and sometimes product design plays a big part in that, um, in, in how you're going to structure the routines, structure the cadence of how you touch base with your clients, your reporting. Um, you know, even right now as an agency, we're talking about softwares, you know, making sure that our softwares that we're providing, um, you know, transparency to our clients for things like analytics and, you know, proper decks that we produce, you know, all that stuff comes apart as a product. Um, mm. You know, your staffing is a part of the product. Um, you know, we haven't talked about it, but, you know, your tone, your language, how you're being perceived as a service is part of, part of the productization of your service. Um, and all that stuff, whether it be digital or physical or on a Zoom call or whatever you're doing, um, you know, you can apply all of the information that you're gathering, you know, to continue to create new iterations of that, of that product as a service. I know we do yeah. all the yeah. time. Yeah. And I think I said it on, again, a couple episodes ago, so I'll repeat myself here, but it's, it's relevant. Um, back in business school, you know, we learned about the history of, of marketing and where you focused on as a discipline. And um, it used to be the four P's, product, price, place, promotion. And then that expanded into physical environment, process, packaging, like a whole bunch of P's they keep throwing on there. But mm. all of those things are part of product design, even though that was the first thing I mentioned, product, price, place, promotion. Um, it's part of the marketing discipline to some degree to make sure that you're keeping these things in mind. Um, while ultimately the buck may stop with, say, the CEO of a company who, you know, makes the decision about what they want to sell and, and how they're going to take it to market. But marketers are usually the front lines of those making recommendations about what may or may not work, changes to improve or, or adjust the product based on messaging primarily. But sometimes it even comes down to actually presenting or producing the product in a different way. And that might move over to the production team or the, the um, operations team if you're doing services. Uh, that that's an interesting place to be is this kind of like pivotal change agent in, in the middle of a marketing model and a product. Well, I'm interested to see or hear, you know, what Mitch has to say, because, um, as, as our audience is going to learn here in a moment, uh, his core is based in a lot of these topics. Um, you know, that DNA, you know, gets drawn from all the time, um, at Atrium. Um, so why don't we, Jordan, why don't we, why don't we throw it over to the interview that, that we're going to be doing here in a little bit and uh, um, 
Sounds good to me. Let's do it. All right. Welcome back. Today, we've got a guest, uh, Mitch Comprey, who's a business partner of both Chris and I at Atrium, our digital marketing agency. But uh, he actually brings 30 years of business uh, ownership as well as entrepreneurship and has been an agency owner for the bulk of that time, but has a whole bunch of other business experience and stories to tell I'm sure we'll cover today. Um, Beginning mostly in a university education from fine arts and then moving into his MBA. Um, kind of we'll probably cover some of the experiences that brought him towards from fine arts to an MBA might seem like a strange connection and uh, spent most of his time recently as a business advisor and acts on a number of boards and uh, also spends a lot of time with his billions of kids um, mostly in sporting events of a variety of different flavors so welcome to the podcast thanks guys nice to be here excellent well, today we're going to be covering a few different avenues. Um, one of the jobs that we have here is to just make sure that we are able to pull up as much information from our guests as possible. Now, of course, being a partner um, at the same agency, we we know a little bit more about you than the average guest. So too much. We're going to be able to yeah, too much. Too much. We know yeah. too much. <laughs> too much. Yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna cover a couple topics. Some that tie into what. Chris and I were talking about earlier in the podcast, but uh, also trying to draw on those 30 years of experience that I talked about. Um, So I've always found it kind of an interesting angle with you. Um, You and I met, obviously, when you hired me about uh, 16 odd years ago, something like that, um, at a prior agency that that you operated. And um, I've always learned about you that, that we share one thing in common. We both actually started in fine arts before we went into business. Um, a lot of like graphic um, and painting and the artistic side. Um, it's not a common branch for a lot of people to get from fine arts to to business. Um, you want to maybe give you our guests a little bit of an idea of uh, what that started with and why fine arts and why you ended up in business from all that. Yeah, that's uh, I sure will. Um, it's interesting because I was always very interested in drawing and painting. And that prompted me to go into more of the visual aspect of it. So, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I'd always draw comic characters and stuff like that. And I had a real passion Mm. for that. And then at the same time, I liked, you know, um, my father's Italian. So, you know, we'd always have paintings, Leonardo da Vinci sketches and stuff like that. So I'd always try to mimic them and see what that was about. So when I went into fine arts, it was... uh, quite an interesting experience and then I learned that you know if you try to become an artist there's no money so you're pretty much starving (laughs) uh so from there I I wrote you know I was talking to some people about doing you know uh, my business degree and they mentioned to me say well if you do that why don't you just write your GMAT and uh get into uh, get into the MBA program which I did I studied for about four or five months and then uh, wrote the GMAT, got in and uh, it was a lot of hard work. That's all I can say. It was opposite of fine arts in every, every parameter you could imagine. Now, I've always understood that, um, especially during that business time, that there weren't, uh, while it is a very different world, there weren't uh, exclusively no coverage of your fine arts background. You, You did have a lot of like product ideas and design elements into how you're viewing business and obviously ended up in marketing and uh, even ultimately opening up a graphic agency, which became a web agency. Um, 
you know, so obviously the fine arts did play a role there. How did you feel it changed how you approached the MBA? So that's a very good point, Jordan. Um, when I was going through uh, fine arts, not only was it painting or drawing, but I did industrial design and I did graphic component of that too. So with industrial design, I came up with some some products. I designed them. Um, what I did is I thought, well, maybe I can take this to market. And you know, I didn't know how to do that, and I didn't have the confidence. A lot of a lot of stuff in business is about the confidence to do it. Yeah. And uh, so what I did is did my MBA. It took me oh, a little over two years, and then from there, uh, business partner and I basically took that product, and we. Uh, got it patent and all that stuff and went we worked with another company in calgary and uh from there kind of got ripped off so it was one of my first experience in businesses <laughs> in business and um yeah you know uh from there how it connected into my previous agency is i had a friend who was working doing agency work and he needed a partner to help him out so that's how i got into it and I found a lot of connections with, you know, designing and building and entrepreneurship and being an agency owner. How, mm-hmm. how would you say, you know, it has evolved, you know, running an agency, you know, 15 years ago compared to, you know, running an agency today? I mean, is it, is it day and night? Is it really that different? Oh, Chris, it's, uh, it's crazy, crazy different. Uh, you know, back in the early, you know, we started in 1999-2000 and at that time you know we were you know i had web designers graphic designers i had you know coders um we were hosting websites too you know mm-hmm. so it was everything you did everything to you know for your agency to build it and um you know today it's vastly different you have to be a specialist in a lot of ways so you look at you know, content writing or people that do ad buying, it's very, very focused. And if you're, if you don't focus, I find that it's, uh, you don't get the true insight to what the connections are to what's going on in the economy and to helping your clients. As I, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, you, you had hired me back in the day, uh, working at uh, the prior agency and, one of the things that I was felt was interesting looking back on that from today's perspective is, you know, while the agency you started in 2000 was always somewhat involved with web to some degree, it was the early days of web and it kind of grew along yeah. with, with website design and development. And, um, but there are aspects that are huge institutions mm-hmm. today, like Google, that wasn't always part of the mix back then that that came up while you were growing this agency we always think about those those things like oh googling things as this permanent thing that's always been there since the dawn of time but it, it wasn't and and even skills like seo or things that are big parts of a marketing challenge today uh weren't part of the mix back then yeah it's uh you think of meta tags that was the that was the when you design a website you put a lot of meta tags on it and it was, uh, you know, people were talking about putting black text on black background and, you know, just a lot of the, you know, very rudimentary uh, SEO stuff. So it was quite, uh, it's quite interesting how it, it's changed. You know, Google came on in, uh, what, 2005, was it? More or less. I remember Dogpile was before mm-hmm. that. 
and just saw how it became more and more uh, strategic and important to people doing searching. Like people were using yellow pages and stuff like that. And the bargain finder. <laughs> and the bargain finder. The bargain yeah. finder. Um, okay, so here's here's a question for you then. I mean, you know, we we generally put our typical audience into one or one of two, if not both, you know, buckets. Either you're a um, a business leader or a marketing professional. But the topic of entrepreneurship can sometimes be right in the middle in between those two. Um, I'm going to throw a question at you, and I maybe I'm going to get some heat for it. But you know, what would you say is the difference between an entrepreneur and a business person? Is there a difference? That's a that's a very good point. Um, <clears throat> I think you and I have talked about this in the past about entrepreneurship. Um, yeah. It takes a lot of energy to start something. Uh, it, you know, it's that leap of faith, as I say it, and coming into it, uh, you know, eyes wide open. You know, like when we talk to a lot of people that are starting up businesses or, you know, there's three fundamentals to look at. Is there a market? Is it technically feasible? Can you make money? Just because there's a market, how big is that market? Yeah. Um, you know, the second one is, you know, is it? Can you? do you have the technology? Do you have the ability to... Uh, develop that service or that product and just because you got a yes and a yes doesn't mean the third one you can make money so with business you know entrepreneurship and business uh tackle in that area they have to understand it but an entrepreneur does a big jump a leap of faith with you know things that they have a passion for and they connect different dots uh business you know we have i have friends and you know them that are business guys um to them, they look at opportunities that are not, like they'll look for a company that's not performing and they'll step into it, they'll buy those assets or that company and then they'll do, you know, they'll focus on the accounting side and they'll they'll turn that business around or maybe it fails and they just write it off and move on. That's business, guys. So it's very, very different. And I find entrepreneurs will keep bleeding out more than they should. <laughs> so. Yeah, it sounds like there's a little bit of, um, like you've mentioned when you were in university, having that confidence that you got through that education kind of helps to bridge that gap a little bit so you're not going naively from project to project. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, entrepreneurs do start businesses, though. They're, they're critical for, for the growth of economies. And like we end up working with some entrepreneurs, although they're not our main focus as an agency. Um, now, you've had the opportunity to be an entrepreneur as well as work in more mature businesses as well. Um, you know, are, are there some like key lessons or like consistent things that you've seen over time for maybe even advising our, our audience on, on how they might view running a business? Um, well, there's the highs and lows for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, some of the advice I'd give to, or not advice, I just, some of my lessons learned is, is culture. If you hire individuals, if you have business partners, make sure they have the same belief system in the culture, in the direction of the organization. Because if they don't and or they're tired, they don't want to do it anymore, that's not healthy. It's, it's you're eventually going to come to conflict and uh, it will be a failure. So, you know, part of it is, you know, really making sure the culture is correctly, both from the employees and, and your, uh, your partnership. And then if you do that properly, you'll make money. You always will. That's the real key. 
Would you say that those are lessons you've learned through the highs and lows or, you know, the accidents or the, the, the poor decisions? Like I always say the, the most expensive school is the school of hard knocks, but, um, it's also the one that gives you the, the best education at the end of the day. So, um, you know, do you reflect back at a lot of those experiences that you, and, and, you know, learn from them or, or were a lot of these principles installed into, you know, as, at a young age, maybe from mentors or parents or school? That's a good point, Chris. Um, my, my dad is a very hard worker. So growing up, I, you know, I, I learned how to work hard. Um, but I didn't really have a mentor in business. So, you know, there's always a confidence issue with me, you know, uh, with business, especially when I was younger. And that's the reason why I went and did an MBA. Um, you talk, you know, when I, when I finished my MBA, I thought it was the, the most exhausting thing I've ever done in my life. Because I was used to, you know, the creative side and fine arts and that side, which I was more gifted at. And uh, it was pretty stressful. But then I found running your own business um, was always cash. You know, cash flow was always a big issue. And uh, what you learn is if, if you don't manage your cash flow, if you don't look after your employees, your, your clients, then you can really suffer. And, uh, and the other one is watching the market. Like as your market changes, um, if you don't adjust, if you don't look at the skill set you have, the opportunities for your business, well, you know, you become a dodo bird pretty quick. And it's, mm. it's really, it's ha it happened to me, so. Well, earlier I mentioned that uh, Chris and I had talked about um, UI and UX but we then moved into talking about product design um, and yeah. you know, product design also can be service design in the agency world. We consider our services a product in a way. Um, now you've, you've actually had some time, you know, thinking about products and like you said, patenting uh, products in the past as well as on the service side, now that you're in the agency world. Um, you know, what, what are some of the, you know, steps that somebody might go through from, from your experience in the, product design that might be applicable in today's world oh that's a that's a good point um <clears throat> when i developed our product we saw an opportunity for a need you know it was a, a product that dealt with you know strollers and joggers and stuff like that and so I, we could see the connection so we're like yeah let's develop this and then as we're developing it, where we failed is not in the idea, the concept. Um, it's really our partnership with the other company in Calgary. That's where we made a mistake. And uh, that's that's a big lesson learned. So, you know, coming up with the idea, sketching it, getting it made. I got when I got CNC made and it, it worked and everything. It's the next level. It's the, uh, the relationship. I would have been better off just going to market on my own. And, you know, sell one, sell 10, build up distributorship networks and so on. And, uh, you know, that's one thing I learned. Uh, the, the other aspect is um, I went to a trade show in Chicago. This was probably around 1997, I think it was, or 98, somewhere in there. And, and it was at the McCormick Center and it was a sporting good trade show and in there was a gentleman with his child, they're from Germany, and they had this round ball, this big ball. 
and uh, we, he was in the elevator with us. And he was looking for distributorships, and he was asking us if we were interested in this, you know, being a distributor for this big ball. And me and my partner laughed and thought it was no, no, thank you. Well, that ball became the yoga ball, <laughs> and what I learned from that is products or ideas you know when markets change and they adapt and yoga was just starting to become more and more prevalent with the general population wasn't just focused and if i had been involved in that yoga ball who knows where it'd be today so uh you know it's keeping your mind open to ideas keeping your mind open to those three components we talked about earlier so a market is technically feasible can i make money and really looking in on that and and realizing you know how you know just because you don't believe in it or you look at it maybe somebody else does and if you're an entrepreneur you look at those ideas and you connect the dots or even if you're a business person so how does that relate to um service design um when you're thinking about products because that's that you started mostly in like tangible product design but then moved obviously into running an agency and, and now we talk about the service design more frequently what parallels are similar and maybe things that are different uh, okay, again, like we talked about earlier, you know, when you have a product or service like web design or graphic design and so forth, as the market changes and adapts, or even if new ideas get introduced, being adaptable and, and really, you know, either upgrading your skill set or, you know, understand where the market's going. You look at, you know, chat GDPs coming out or is out. And how that's going to change an agency, how, you know, content writers are going to look at the information. So it's being adaptable and not looking at it as a threat, but looking at it as an opportunity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's the connection, you know, like, you know, you look at certain products that were, you know, popular 100 years ago don't exist today. Well, in that heyday, they were selling very well and they changed and some companies adapted and changed from whatever that product was to what it is today and uh you know my question back to you jordan is you know you're aware of the threats that are occurring or the opportunities that are occurring how would you connect the dots with our you know with our agency and stuff like that well obviously we, we've had the time to communicate on all sorts of subjects in just a few episodes that we've had of this podcast and we've covered some of this but um definitely the agency world is is something I'm passionate about and, you know, having worked with you over this period of time, something that I'm curious all the time as to why we do the things that we do in this industry. Uh, there's a huge amount of tradition in the, in the agency world. People just kind of assume about what's supposed to be part of an agency or supposed to be part of a service. And we don't often peel back the, the kind of peel and look underneath and go like, well, what is really, what's the juice of this? And, in our case, like we, we tend to lean towards that kind of more engineered approach because we believe that we're trying to engineer consistency. That's the juice we've, we've kind of focused on. But, you know, even, even things when we develop our services, having the customer be part of that uh, product design or the service design is really important. So mm -hmm. there are even parts of our experience when we work with clients that we do things that are just necessary to make sure that the, the client is informed, that they're part of the process, that they feel heard, that they have an opportunity to be engaged, that they're getting data that might be useful for them and other things, even though we don't strictly maybe need those interactions to do our job that they're paying us for on paper or in black and white. You know, here's the list of things you're getting from us. So, you know, keeping those two things in mind where you're, you're always constantly second guessing any kind of institutions that might have built, built up in your mind about how you're supposed to do things. Um, and then combining that with 
opportunities to connect your product with the real world, which is the customer who's ultimately paying for it, is really critical. It's all about the value, isn't it, that you provide? <laughs> I'd probably I'd probably even expand on that. I, I think I think for us, we try to engineer innovation into everything that we do. And, you know, as we're, you know, running full speed in 2023, I think innovation is is paramount. I think innovation is in every single aspect of every single industry and every business, whether it be through the softwares you're utilizing, the processes that you're that you're implementing, um, the way that you view things with your clients. Um, But engineering innovation, I think, is essential because it eventually gets your entire corporate culture to kind of look at everything through that lens. And I know that this year what we're really focusing on is innovation for the purpose of the audience that we're working with for our clients um you know we talked about um, ux we we talked about product design well productizing our service means that we have to create something that is of service for our clients in the form of a product and ultimately that product that we have has to um, for a lot of our clients you know, we're the only ones thinking outside the box for them. And so, you know, making sure that we're the ones that are innovative left, right, and center is, is a safeguard for them. Um, so, you know, back, back to what you were talking about, Jordan, um, you know, I, I think, I think these things like productization, you know, whether it be from experience or, you know, from a product design perspective, it's essential in all forms of business. Yeah. It's, no, it's amazing over those like 30 odd years of doing all sorts of different businesses and products and services, you've seen things that have worked really well. And you've also seen teams flourish. You've seen uh, business models also, I'm sure come into challenging uh, phases of their existence. Um, And a lot of that, like you said, comes down to changes in the outside world impacting the business and having to have them reevaluate things. Um, You know, what are some of the risks associated when you don't, evolve in those situations oh boy <laughs> um i've um it's funny uh, and you know uh, many times i can walk into a business and i can see uh if they're going to be successful or even if i can help them and a lot of times it's not a marketing problem they think it's marketing they need more sales but it's not about that. It's their fundamental of, of their business as either the economy's changed or the market has changed. The, they've got, a, you know, a new technology came and is replacing them and they can't adapt fast enough. Um, you know, and it, and it always impacts their cash flow. That's everything is about their cash flow. And, and as they're, as they're losing control, you know, you're going in there and you can see people frantic. The place is usually not clean. There's all these indicators that they're stressed out. And uh, so, you know, I can give you a number of examples that I've seen. I'm just like, wow, this is not good. And, you know, so the, the thing is, is that I've seen literally thousands of businesses. And it's like a formula in that, in that if you do certain things properly and you put them together, it works. When it's when you don't do them together and it, all of a sudden, you know, maybe you get something new, but, you know, you're taking a risk that it, it falls apart. Um, you know, the example is, you know, our business is working in the office. It's it's being physically here. That's our model, our, our model. And our model depends on 
uh, people buying into that and believing it and, and working together and communicating and the culture tied to that uh, versus working at home. Yes, there's communication through, you know, Zoom and so forth, but it's not the same. And, you know, there's a lot of times ideas come across, they're built on other ideas where, you know, there's a problem that a client needs solved. You know, someone talks about it, they, they you know, they've talk to another individual all of a sudden you get this aha eureka moment so you know that's you know that's what i've seen in the last 30 years i think you know there's so much evolution that's happening around us all the time um as you know entrepreneurs or business people i think evolving for the sake of evolving you know doesn't make any sense you know yeah. thinking thinking things through you know uh, analyzing the scenario, um, analyzing the way that your business is built. The, you know, you can do a SWOT analysis. You can do whatever you need to do. But um, evolution, I think, is essential to producing longevity. But evolving for the sake of evolving will most likely um, bring death to your business because you, you're going to evolve too quick or you're not going to analyze things in such a way and you won't actually see you know, the, the issue that's going to, you know, bury you in the dark corner that you didn't prepare for, you know? And I think, you know, if I'm to kind of, you know, you know, think of Mitch Comprey for a minute and, and how he, you know, kind of brings a ton of value to our agency is he's been there. He's seen those dark corners. He's seen other businesses fail. He's, you know, 30 years is not a, a small amount of time to be in business. And so, um, you know, you know, evolution is, is, you know, tied, well, for us, it's tied to how we look at everything and product design has a, a form of evolution and analysis in there. And Mitch, I think you bring that element into Atrium and uh, we flourish because of it. So, you know, thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks I for know. being older. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I know, you know, with Jordan, you know, sometimes you guys bring up an idea and I'm like, no, 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 can't do that. And, uh, you know, what I'm trying to tell you guys is really, really be careful. You know, when you give something out, you can't take it back. And so you really have to think about how it all comes together. Like you just said, like, don't just throw it out there and go, I want to change. And then there's an outcome that you did not want. It's it's an outcome that occurs. And all of a sudden, you're either taking that thing away or, uh, you know, if you hire the wrong people, you're now laying people off or firing them. And then that's on you as a business person and, you know, as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So you have to really think about what's your next step and where are you going to be in 10 or 15 or 20 steps. And, you know, managing your cash flow and making sure your clients are taken care of. And, you know, if you want to have uh, clients that stay with you long time, it's, you know, giving them value and, and really being conscientious of what drives their business to the next level. Um, you know, there's a client or a potential client that I was talking to the other day. I saw a video and it talked about exactly his industry. A competitor put it together. Well, I sent it to him and hmm. he came back and he's like, hey, tell me more about this. So it's about connecting dots and helping people. So mm. I think anytime a business owner, an entrepreneur can have people around them that have that uh, additional, you know, time in market even, um, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to 
you know, mine information around you from different situations, different scenarios that you in your limited lifetime uh, as an individual starting a business or, you know, if you're just starting a business or your first business, you, you're going day to day learning new things every single time. And each new experience, each new challenge might be new for you, but it might not be new for somebody else. So having somebody else yeah. around you, I know you, these days you're doing a lot more business advisory, you're on boards. Yeah. So, you know, participating and finding people to participate with you in the entrepreneurial or business management experience is only going to make your businesses stronger. Yeah, that's true. Um you know, I, I, I believe I told both of you this story in the past. Uh, years and years ago, I went out to uh, to visit a client. They were in NISCU. And they, you know, he was selling uh, containers. And, uh, you know, I went to see him and I'm like, wow, like, you know. Like, like Tupperware? No, no, no. Shipping containers. Sorry. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> sorry. And, uh what happened was, you know, I thought, oh, this guy was a Babe Ruth, you know, like this guy could just point and, you know, hit it out. And you don't see that very often. And he's like, no, Mitch. He says, I failed three times. I've lost everything. And and so he told me the story. He was selling quads and, you know, and he had this yard full of quads shipped from China. And people didn't want the quads, but they were coming by asking about the shipping containers and, that was like 15 years ago. And then he became one of the biggest, you know, guys selling shipping containers in Western Canada. So uh, it was an interesting story. So it shows you that that experience and, you know, and, and, you know, you look at our relationship, like I'm very different from you and from Jordan, right? So we work very well together because we look at a problem from a different perspective. And it's important to have that. If not, you just, if everyone thought the same way, well... It's group thought and you, you, you definitely something bad will happen to you. I can, that I can guarantee. Well, hopefully our audience uh, got a bit of a different flavor then. <laughs> yes. A little less time with uh, just Chris and Jordan show. So it's always good to have different perspectives and um, yeah, we, I will certainly have you on again and you know, I, I thank you for joining us today. Hopefully you had a good time as well. Oh, I sure did. Thanks guys. Thanks Mitch. Take care. Bye guys. Cheers. Well, I think that was great. Uh, we got to talk to to Mitch. We went through quite a bit of topics today. Um, yes, we, we were did. joking during the break about uh, basically we've got textbooks worth of topics we covered in uh, a few minutes here. So obviously we may be covering these topics in a lot more detail or specific yeah. areas in the future. So I look forward to that. And uh, it was great having Mitch on as well. And I look forward to our next episode. Absolutely. Obviously, don't forget to subscribe if you're on YouTube. If you're listening to this on Apple, um, Spotify, and all the other platforms that we that we broadcast on, make sure you subscribe, make sure you follow. We do issue a new episode every two weeks on Wednesday. So if you're loving this, tell your buddies. We'll be here. We appreciate your time. Cheers. <laughs>